You listen to 247 Real Talk. Once again, this is your host, Julian Perry. On another episode from 247 Real Talk Podcast, it's Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. I'll be discussing VAWA, Violence Against Women's Act, bail reform, crime in New York, shameful politicians, taking it up a notch for 2022 as I promised. So sit back, relax, and I'll be right back. So, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of 247 Real Talk Podcast. Glad to be here. Glad to be recording again for you, sharing my thoughts and perspective. Um, In some upcoming episodes, I'm going to have some interesting guests on here on different topics from uh, mental health, maybe some celebrities who will talk about their journey from, you know, from start to where they are today and, you know, in a hope also of helping people in the industry, not only getting to that level, but especially now that we're coming out of COVID and people will be looking to invent or reinvent themselves. I wanted to mix up the show a little bit. We've been doing some pretty intense stuff the last few weeks, and this episode is going to be about the same. So let's start it off as I've started this new custom with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Your will, not ours, be done. Amen. So how's everyone been? Uh, This past week has been pretty busy at my 9-to-5 job and uh, doing some new things and new challenges has kept it interesting and uh, Help me, you know, with the tough process I've been dealing with going from remote, you know, full remote back into the office. Um, still feeling very unsure about COVID and what's next and, you know, what happens if this variant, the new variant pops up with all these, um, all, all the restrictions being relaxed and this push to get back to normal. Um I've all you know. I've mentioned in in too many episodes that you can't get back to normal. It should be a new normal, but you know, people just want to get back to normal what they what they knew before. The problem with that, of course, is we live in a different world, a different time. Um, we have no idea what's coming our way. Whether it's whether we have a, you know something like the pandemic that comes from whatever source, whether it was a purposeful source or an accidental source. We've gone back to a state or, we, or we're almost back to a state of the same exposure and same risk that we had that caused the demise of, we're getting close to, so we're over 900,000 deaths from COVID in the United States. So I would assume that even though we trickle down, we're probably going to hit that million mark. And um, I think I read in the, in the newspapers there or on, on the news, I heard 1010 wins or something like that on my phone that... The actor Tyrese Gibson, his his um his mother died from COVID and pneumonia, so people are still dying. And um, I think I got his name right, right, Tyrese. Yeah, and um, so 
it's hitting everyone. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how much money you have, how much money you don't have. And I just think that going back to the way we were and soon taking the masks off, you know, we're just a, an infection and a sneeze away from, you know, a similar result of a different virus or something and having to go through the whole process of finding a vaccine again. I just think we need to do things differently to to reduce the risk of spreading. And, and, and you know, we also, you know, there's lessons that came out of the pandemic of, you know, high, even, even if we do a hybrid where we allow people to alternate their work days, one from home, one from work, or half home, or a week off, whatever the case may be, but sort of do it in a way that we reduce the capacity like 50% at a time, giving some help to those local businesses that remained open and, you know, taking the consideration, the, the actual human beings who are making this trip to work, not only for, you know, at some level for their safety, but also the their quality of life, working remotely and being able to be home when your day is done and not, you know, it, it, there's just a value, a human life value to it that, that you know, un, un, unfortunately right now, you know, the, the, the need for money supersedes the need for uh, making human beings or, or giving our giving human beings back some value to their life, value that we were exposed to, we that we realized and recognized during the pandemic. You know, so many people are looking for remote jobs. I know a few people who are now working remotely. They go into the office maybe once or twice a week for meetings, and that's not the entire day, and it's only as necessary. There's weeks and then they don't go into work and they're in front of their computer all day. They have the same meetings. Cause right now I don't do inter uh, in-person meetings at my job. So people who work remotely are doing remote meetings. So it's, it's, it's almost the exact same that I'm doing, except I'm sitting in a building at work and they're sitting at home and, and their quality of life is better and they have better control over their health, etc. Um, I think there's a lot of value to that, that people who are, you know, politicians and people who have the ability to make changes. And even us as people, you know, we need to unite and maybe we need to start to make loud, you know, noises louder about companies considering quality of life, even if they need to the, us to go into the office. Um, I looked around my neighborhood where I, you know, where I work and I can see that a lot of businesses closed a lot. and I don't think they're coming back. You know, eventually something new will come there, but I don't think those businesses are going to make it back. So I still think if we go to a hybrid or whatever, the businesses that remained open will get a lot of support from the people who, you know, who are in that day, the 50% people. But, you know, we have to find a balance. It can't be all for the employer, all for the person. We need to find a balance. We need to find a new normal. And we need to be considering all the time if something like another pandemic hits us in the next year, two, 10 years, whatever, are we just going to agree to go through the same cycle again and accept another million lives and another, you know, all this destruction? Um, where I am, there were two security guards that I knew. I came back to find out that in early 2020, when the pandemic first started, when I got COVID, um, those two guys that I knew and said hello every day to one was pretty young. They both succumbed to COVID very early. So it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's challenging to be there. And I don't know when we get to the point where they decide to go to the real new normal and start opening up conference rooms and, and want in-person meetings again. 
that's going to be a challenge for me personally. Um, I will voice it to my superiors as much as I can. You know, um, at the end of the day, we go to work because we need a job, we need to earn a living, but we also need to be respected on how we feel. I don't really, you know, even on the, on the, on the railroad, when I take the, the railroad to go to work, um, I can remember before COVID, you know, people, if there were people standing up in the aisles of the train, it meant that every seat was filled, you know, whether it was a two-seater or a three-seater. Now, everyone leaves a space in between them. So if there's a two-seater, there's just one person sitting there. It's just automatic. Nobody, you know, before the pandemic, people would ask you, could you, you know, if I had my bag on the seat, could you move your bag so I could sit? Nobody wants to do that now. Nobody wants to be crowded up to each other, at least up till now. I think over time, humans forget, and I think that's going to come back at some point. But I guess that's when I'll be standing because I just don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to... It, this this whole COVID and pandemic has rocked my world to the point where um, I need to be safer. I need to be more. I need to recognize my you know or, or be more cognizant of my surroundings, and I need to understand that things like germs are invisible, but they can have uh, you know, uh, intense consequences. So enough about that. That's actually not not a part of the. The episode for this week, really, that's just something that came to mind, and so I thought I would share it. You're going to hear some crinkling in the background again because I've got my piece of paper with my notes. I still don't have my monitor up yet. I really got to have, have it on my to-do list. So we're going to start off the the, the more focused uh, conversation, on, and I'm going to start off with something that caught my eye this week, and um, and I call it shameful politicians, and unfortunately, as you, as you guys know, I'm I'm down the middle. I'm I'm you know I'm neither Republican or Democrat nor Libertarian or Independent. I just have my own views, and sometimes they're in line with Republicans, sometimes they're in line with Democrats, sometimes they're in line with Independents, you know, etc. This one is, I think, horrific. Uh, what caught my attention this week is Angela Jolie, the actress, went to Congress to ask him to bring a bill back. To, for a vote. And this bill, this bill is called VAWA. It's Violence Against Women's Act. So when I, when I, when I saw, I saw the name of it alone, I said, well, why would this have to come back? I mean, it seems sort of self-explanatory. It seems like it should be an easy thing to pass. I mean, Violence Against Women's Act, you know, is something that we should all stand behind because, you know, women have gone through, you know, their own levels of intense abuse and, 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 and so I was interested and I paid more attention. And I'll read a little bit of what I wrote here. Um, it's a, I wrote here, pursuant to a federal law enacted in 1996, uh, there was a law not related to this VAWA that says those connected those convicted of domestic violence against a current or former spouse are prohibited from legally purchasing a firearm. Let's say that again. This was not, this is not related to VAWA. This is prior to VAWA. It says, those convicted of domestic violence against a current or former spouse are prohibited from legally purchasing a firearm. And this VAWA, Violence Against Women's Act, would extend that protection and and would extend that uh that, that that level of prohibiting 
to boyfriends who have been convicted of stalking, assaulting a domestic partner, or who have had a restraining order issued against them um, for actions you know, that they've taken against their girlfriends or their ex. Now, FBI data indicates that boyfriends are just as likely as a husband to kill uh, uh, an intimate partner. You know, so there's also, um, they also included transgender, um, the transgender people in this to make sure that they're covering acts against, uh, violence against women. Now, because this said a boyfriend would be prohibited from buying a firearm, 172 Republicans voted against it. Because it said, it said a transgender who's, who is convicted or, 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 or stalking or, 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 or assaulting a, a domestic partner or has a restraining order because of an act as a search would, would be prohibited from purchasing a firearm. 172 Republicans voted against it and the law never went through. I haven't had the chance to check to see if the, the request by Angela Jolie for Congress now um, possibly removes the boyfriend part from it just to appease these Republicans so that a law that should be in place to protect women will actually go into, go into, into effect, you know, be voted on and, and, and become law. How many of you listening to me does that anger? Imagine we have politicians that we elect, politicians that are paid with taxpayers' money, politicians that are there for all of us, and they have the temerity to vote against a, 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 a bill to become law because they felt that it's okay if husbands be prohibited after, you know, because they're convicted of domestic abuse, but we don't want to do that to boyfriends. You know, because I guess boyfriends didn't marry the person, so they shouldn't be included. I mean, I, I got so angry when I read this because I'm thinking to myself, number one, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And this is the thing that, you know, that Republicans and whomever, I don't care who you are, if you voted against this because of that reason, you should be kicked out of Congress. Okay. You should not be reelected. I don't care what party you're from. Okay? You're not there for the people. You're there for yourself. You're there to, to, to appease whomever these, these ignorant, arrogant people that you, that, that, that you call your constituents uh, that, got, that put you in there and are okay with you voting against this law. You're there for them so that you can maintain your position and your power and your perks and all that. You're not there because your heart told you you want to be in, in Congress and you want to help and you want to change this country and our lives for the better. You're not. This is absolutely unacceptable. And if it wasn't for the name, you know, when I heard the, you know, the, the celebrity name and I paid attention, it probably would have flown under the radar for me too. And then I got to thinking, you know, as episodes of 247 Real Talk podcast continue, I need to start digging to see what other acts and what other law are, 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 are sitting you know, in a waste bin somewhere, under, under somebody's chair, you know, making it even somewhere because... It won't come up for a vote 
because of, of absolute unacceptable trash like this from the people we pay a whole lot of money to and give a whole lot of power to to make a difference in our lives. This is not something that we need to continue to accept. And for everyone who's heard me say this, you can go look it up. It's called VAWA, V-A-W-A, Violence Against Women's Act. And this is just the first thing I'm touching in this episode. And I hope that alone is getting you. I'm, I'm hoping that right now, if you're listening to this podcast, you're now, you're angry right now. Okay. Cause I'm going to take you even further with, with, with all the topics tonight, but I want you to be angry. I want you to get angry enough that you say, you know, no matter how busy I am, no matter how much I have to do, I'm going to do a few things. Number one, I'm going to go look this up. I'm going to find out who I can call because everybody's got a local state center. Everybody's got a, these, all these people have email address and addresses and all that. Do something. It is not enough anymore to sit by and just think that somebody else is going to do it for us. It is not enough to sit by anymore and say, I'm too busy. This is something that can affect your family member. It can affect maybe one of you who are listening. Maybe someone listening to my podcast is or has been a victim of domestic violence. It can affect your daughters. It can affect your sons. It can affect anybody in your family. Are you willing to, 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 to find out a year, two, whenever from now that you're a victim of it or someone you know is a victim of this when you could have helped make a difference? Not just with this, but start paying attention to what the legislatures are doing out there, the state legislature and the, and the, and the, federal, and the federal level, because these people are passing this nonsense right under our nose. And even though it was nice that a celebrity brought this up to attention, we can't depend on celebrities to bring everything that's wrong up to our attention. We the people, by the people, for the people, we need to live by that. I don't know how many of you wanted this, you know, and, and, and let me pause there to thank all of you, and I saw the numbers, who shared my podcast from last week. I really appreciate it. I'm going to ask you to continue to share because obviously if, you sh- if you're listening to my podcast and you find that this podcast interests you and what, we, what I speak about you know, is something that gets you passionate enough, I'm assuming that someone in your circle is just like you because like minds you know, tend to, to, to gravitate to each other. So when you share it with your social media, when you share it on your Facebook and your Instagram and your Snapchat, whatever, I don't know what all some of the things I, I'm not even on. But the point is, if you have like-minded friends, then, then this will sort of take on a life of its own, like, a, like, a, like, the, like the waves of an ocean coming in and going out, and it will, it will travel on its own. And as it gets bigger and as the message gets shared, I will do my part to bring a bigger conversation together, whether it be a live uh, podcast where people can call in and, and, and we can get, you know, whether we get signatures, whether we get people to start bombarding the offices of the senators, we have to do something. This is not acceptable. We have to hold these people that we elect accountable, irrespective of party. This partisan nonsense has to stop. My life and your life and whether we survive and how we survive should not matter if it, or should not go according to whether you're Democrat or Republican, because those are two major parties, right? It should be according to you being a human being. And so in that on that note, I'm going to keep going because, and, and, and I didn't really pick an order tonight because there's a quite a few things I want to, 
um, talk about, I want to talk about and go, go back again to this, this administration, this, this Biden administration, you know, I don't know what to say about them. You know, I, I read something, I don't know where I read it today, but there's a, there's a new platform or, or I don't know if it's new, but there's a platform that apparently uh, former president Trump made his first um, comment or whatever. And basically it all boiled down to him saying to his supporters, Hey, don't worry. I'll see you soon. And the way this Biden administration is going, I I, you know, I can't argue with that. You know, the, the, if there were if, if the if the, the the underground betting market is is betting on it right now, the odds are probably in his favor. We have inflation, we have rising costs of cars, we have rising costs of food, you have rising costs of fuel, and it's it's like these people are oblivious to what's going on. People's incomes have not been have not changed a lot because a lot of people have been out with COVID and are going back to work. They've missed two years of work and they haven't got a raise. The prices are ridiculous. Have you seen the price of food? Have you gone to the supermarket lately and then looked in your cart and looked at the cash register and looked in your cart again, looked at the cash register again because you can't, the number that's on the register that's the total for what you have in the cart doesn't make sense. Don't even, you know, as we would say to Jordan, not even if you add 10 and carry the one, it just doesn't make sense. And the things that this White House is focusing on, you know, in a long-term way, some of them will help. We need help now. I'm waiting to see on May 1st with inflation you know, rising the way it is, with the cost of every single thing, basically the cost of living and I don't like to use the term cost of living because it doesn't, it doesn't add enough impact. Cost of gas, cost of food, cost of milk, cost of bread, cost of potatoes, cost of rice. Every single thing, that the, even the basics that you use to sustain yourself is going up. And on May 1st, this White House is going to turn to people who now are struggling harder than they ever had before, coming out of a pandemic, maybe having lost a breadwinner. Some maybe having lost their homes. I heard recently that, that, that apartment prices in, in, in New York, uh, and maybe New York City, but the apartment prices are now, uh, I forgot what percent, higher than pre-pandemic prices. And pre-pandemic prices were already crazy in some areas. I know someone that asked me about uh, years ago, I used to live in, before I bought my home, I used to live in an apartment complex. Pretty nice. I won't call its name for certain reasons. But someone asked me uh, last week about you know, uh, if I knew anyone there in the management office that could help them. And I said, you know, well, you know, they were, I won't say what I said, but bottom line is that I think a one-bedroom apartment is like fifteen to $1,600. Imagine a single person looking for a one-bedroom apartment. Studio apartments are starting at like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars. Two-bedroom apartment, twenty-four hundred dollars and up. Are you serious? That's a mortgage. And in all of this, this White House, this White House, and this president who promised to do something dramatic with student loans to help the American people. On May first, the moratorium will be over. And I'm waiting to see whether 
First of all, he needs, still needs to extend it because recovery is much longer than this. But most of all, he needs to get rid of it. He needs to figure out through executive order, through reaching across the aisle, whatever he needs to do. The, we hire these people because they are, they're supposed to be brilliant in their field. When I go and I apply for a job and someone looks at my resume and my, and my experience and what I've accomplished, they say, okay, you're, you're brilliant at fixing bicycle tires. That's why I'm hiring you. I don't want you to come tell me that you can't fix my bicycle tire, you know, because, you know, you just can't figure it out. President Biden, White House, figure it out. If you don't do this for the American people, not only will you have probably put at a devastating time, put a devastating blow, another one on top of the people who supported you. But first of all, this midterm elections in, in, in November, I think even without this, you're going to lose your shirt. I think the Democrats are going to lose the Senate. I don't know. They may even lose the House. There are a lot of Democratic um, senators and Congress people who are not running for re-election. They're probably just fed up with the politics. They 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 finally grew. You know, their human side probably took over their 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 greedy side, and they probably decided I can't live it myself anymore with the state of politics and the state of of of, of government. And so I need you to continue to share this podcast. I need you to make noise about student loans. I need to make noise about acts like VAWA, you know, Violence Against Women Act, and that needs to be passed in its entirety, including the boyfriend clause. I need you to hold your politicians accountable and say to them, we see what you're doing. You're not passing this under the rug like you used to. We're not letting that go anymore. I mean, can you imagine if this one just came to light that I mentioned, how many more things as I said, are sitting somewhere not passed or passed in the most, uh, I would use the word, ignorant fashion because we weren't paying attention. We need to pay more attention because our lives are being affected and we don't even recognize it until we find ourselves in a situation where we need help and we can't get it. And by the way, while I'm on that topic, you know, there was this big thing that was in the news a few weeks ago this website that went up and you go to the website and uh, people sent it to me so many and you sign up for, and, and you get up to four free COVID test kits per family. And the thing on the website said, it'll be here from within four to 12 days. It's been weeks. And not only did, uh, not only have I not received it, but everyone I know who applied for it, I don't know of anyone who did receive it. And I know that my, 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 my request, you know, I, I signed up correctly because my wife went to sign up and they told her already, somebody had already signed up for our household. She didn't know that I had done it. So, we, you know, that validated alone that it's in the system and yet here we are weeks and weeks later and nothing ever showed up. So here we go again, just like the student loans, just like everything else, is a promise to the American people. And this is a serious one because the COVID test kits, you know, it's, we're still at this on this borderline of COVID. And, and when, you, when you feel sick and you have a fever and you, you, you need to have this test kit because, you know, you don't want to be going back into the office and reinfecting people. Because we don't know the way this thing is mutated. We don't know it just takes one mutation that is just not affected by vaccines. And here we go again. So if you promised us these test kits to make sure we can keep ourselves safe, where are the test kits? I just see failure after failure of this administration. 
they like they're completely out of touch with us as the people. Anyway, that's enough I've said about them because I yeah I can go on and it just doesn't you know it just doesn't make sense. But I also want to touch. I got I got to touch a little bit on because something happened that I happened to come across. I heard in the news, and when I hear things in the news, I go and I I look them up. And yeah. I think you guys all remember Ahmad Arbery. That was the 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 young black man that was running. I think it was in Georgia somewhere, but he was running through the neighborhood, and the three white men um, accosted him, um, blocked his way, uh, decided to make a citizen's arrest, shot and killed him. All three of those men were convicted. Two were sentenced to life without parole, life plus years without parole, and one was given, I think. Um, life with the possibility of parole after 20-something years or so. I'm not sure the exact sentence. That's not the importance of what um, where I'm coming from. Where I'm coming from is the whole nation saw that. The whole nation witnessed not only the pain of the family, but it was a big gathering and there was a big outcry of, 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 um, of relief when those three men were convicted and then sentenced. But on January 24th, 2022, in Memphis, Tennessee, a black FedEx worker in uniform driving a rental van, because you know FedEx sometimes gets rental vans when it's, when it's got a lot of deliveries, was challenged, I want to say, by a, by a father and son, white men. The father... Block, tried to block in the, the the FedEx guy, tried to block his vehicle in with his truck. And then I guess he got around the truck and there standing in the middle of the street was the son with a gun. Shotgun, I think he said, not sure. But I think he fired like six times at the FedEx driver in his vehicle. The vehicle was hit, but luckily the FedEx driver was not. Black FedEx driver. The father and son were arrested. Doesn't this sound awfully familiar? Do we think that after Ahmad Arbery and all of that and all that pain we suffered as a nation watching this racism raise its ugly head, do we think that that example would have sort of set a tone with the nation? No, here we go in 2022, January 24th. You can go Google it and look it up. And I, 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 and I encourage you to look it up and read the whole story because these things should make you angry. Here we are. I mean, you know, I, I told someone the other day, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, all these people, even Rosa Parks, all you, it seems like everything they did, we have made sure in 2022, 2021, 2020, we've made sure that their victories have, are, are, are now victories in vain almost. Yes, we got something, you know, we got the rights to vote and all these sorts of things, but basic human life, basic acceptance of each other, the only, the only, the only place I see it visible is in, is in Generation Z, which is this brand, you know, the generation of now, the young people who are, are fighting back against the racism of this world because they're saying they marry each other, different races, they like each other, they hang out together, and they refuse to accept this ignorance of the world. But that's not it alone. 
in I think it was Nyack, and I and I meant to Google this, and I got so busy, but and so forgive me if I got the area wrong, but I think it was Nyack. But the story I heard this week was there was a basketball game, and there were two predominantly white schools playing each other, you know, just a couple of black players. And this black player, I forgot the name of the school, but he went to the free throw line to make his free throws. And the you know, the students, white students in the, in the stands started making monkey noises. And of course, you hear in the news, people were appalled and there'll be an investigation because it was recorded and it's on video or it's on audio. And then they played back and you could hear the monkey noises. That, that I'm not sure... I mean, yes, it angers me, but I think it worries me more than it angers me. It worries me because, you know, when you when you see an, a, a gathering of people and you see older people, black and white, you see older people practicing racism, as angry and as wrong as it is, you kind of, you, you kind of, you know, no, you know, that's how they are, that's how they were, and you know, hopefully the next generation will be better. But when you hear a young basketball players, young, young, I guess this was high school or I'm not sure it was high school or college, but I think it was high school. And they have that mentality. That means that the next generation is doomed. And, it, and, and I think that the next generation will have it worse than we have in a certain extent because unless Generation Z has enough of a population to overcome the ignorance of racism in the world, our children, our grandchildren will face this racism and now it's in their faces. You remember, there was, I mean, I don't think racism ever went away, but I think that the world got so focused on, on not accepting it at some point that, you know, the racist people walked to, walked to mount us, but they kept it to themselves. Okay. In an ideal world, we would like to change their minds, change the ideology, but we're not going to do that. But they kept it to themselves to the point where it didn't impact us. Okay. They smiled at us during the day. They interacted with us. They even treated us nicely to some extent. And they probably went home and slammed their doors and started cursing us out in every, every adjective that they could think of to describe a minority person, but they kept it there. Now it's in your face and it's opening the public again. Now it's out there. Now there is no shame in being publicly racist. And when you hear responses like, well, we have to look into it. Are you serious? If you got these people on tape and you can identify who they are, if you have to think of what to do, let me tell you what I think you should do. If you have young people who are practicing racism and, and that blatantly, first of all, there should be a criminal investigation. There should be a criminal um, consequence. But I don't want you to put them in jail. No. Jail should be on the table as an alternative if they don't accept your offer. And I think your offer should be that they have to take a class about the history of the race that they were making fun of. Not, not just one class, but a whole semester, maybe two, maybe a year worth. Make them learn the history that most likely most of them don't know because they're just practicing what they've seen at home or what they've seen in the groups that in the circles they hang out with. Make them coexist 
in a confined, when I say make them take a class, I'm not talking about take a class and go home and come back the next day. No, they're, 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 they're confined. So there's not, it's not jail at this point, but it, it is, you are confined and restricted. You're living in this facility and you're living with the people of the opposite of, of the races that you despise. You're learning about them individually. You learn the history. You have to pass these tests and pass and, and know all the information and take exams. And if you don't, you go to jail for real. Force them to be human. Force them to live with other humans that they despise for reasons they don't even know. I mean, there are probably a lot of people, critics, who would say a lot of reasons why you can't do that. But this is just my desperate attempt in hoping that in doing this, that you will find yourself in a, this world will find itself in a place somewhere down the road where we've changed enough young minds that they refuse to allow this to continue in our world. You know, I, 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 I remember hearing something, I think it was the Dwayne Johnson who said, and I repeat it in different forms from time to time. But being kind to another human being, irrespective of race, creed, and color, is sort of the, 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 the fee that we pay to, ex to occupy a space on this planet for the time that we're here. And we need to try real hard for our children and our grandchildren. I'm going to touch on one more thing, or actually two more things this evening. Um, let's talk a bit about bail reform. Um, I think it was this week that the, the New York City mayor went to the New York State Legislature seeking a change in in the way bail reform is now. And I applaud him for it. When I see things that I like, I speak on them regardless. This has nothing to do with party and partisanship and all that. This has to do with common sense. And I think he, he, he came back with, because I heard the comments, not from him, but from the, the majority uh, leader in the New York State Senate that said basically, you know, there's no need at this point for changing bail reform, and I'm not quoting verbatim, so forgive me if 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 it's if if there's any inaccuracy. But basically, saying that there's no there are no statistics that show any relationship between bail reform and crime. And then they went on to say, if if someone committed a crime and they should have been in jail, then the, that was the judge's <clears throat> duty. So let's start there. Yes, it is the judge's duty, and I mentioned this last week, but doesn't, don't the judges get their, their, their parameters, so to speak, from the legislature? Legislature are the ones who get to enact laws, right? And then the judges follow. So there's a lot of things wrong here. You know, we have we had a situation where there's a real disparity, and it probably it's the, I mean we have, and in response to that disparity of minorities being you know locked up in jail for extended periods of time because they couldn't make basic bail for 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 minor petty crimes, there was this bail reform thing. It was it was an attempt to 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 level the playing field, but 
there's nothing wrong with adjustments being made to it. And I'm a believer that there needs to be adjustments made to it. I, I understand the unfairness has gone on with my, for minorities, and I don't want to change that to the extent that minorities are back where they were before. Because, But number one, in terms of agreeing with the, what the judges do, I understand that these judges are swamped. And after a while, I think they become they become um, color associated, so to speak, meaning that they associate one way to handle a case based on the based on the ethnicity or the color of the, of the defendant in front of them. Because I think that if it means hiring many more judges with you know and, and spending our money, taxpayers' money wisely, I think these cases need to be handled on an individual basis. You can't lump them together. You need to pay attention to the facts of the case and handle each one individually. Now, I think when our mayor, the Honorable Eric Adams, went to Albany, I think he went there out of sheer frustration and anger, and I join him in that frustration and anger. About a week ago, or maybe in the last two weeks, there was a, a, um, a thigh woman, a woman from Thailand, who was attacked on the subway. The guy that attacked her, I think is either he was arrested either 40 or 44 times. Now tell me how that is possible. I don't care what the crime is. If you jump the turnstile to go into the train station and you get arrested, and you get arrested for that same crime one two three four five there comes to a point where you need to get a severe penalty in jail because it's still committing a crime and when when the human mind gets to the point where they're willing to take that risk over and over and over again because the 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 consequences mean nothing to them that we need to up the consequences how does someone who's been arrested 40 or 44 times get to be out there to assault someone again 44 times is too many. 20 times is too many. 10 times is too many. Okay? Misdemeanor or felony or whatever, I don't care what it is. You are committing a crime. One time, you get a pass. If it's something where you speak to the judge and they can verify that you were in a rock and a hard place and so you took a, 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 a jar of baby food out of the supermarket because your child was hungry, you had no money, no one, you asked people, no one helped you, and, and you, know, out of, you, you were broken by how your child was. You know, I'm, I'm just making this up, but the point is, you know, they look at the circumstances and say, okay, this guy otherwise has no record, he's a good father, he has a job, we're going to give him a break. And that's the whole point of it. Sir, you made a mistake. The court is giving you a break. Understand, there will be no more breaks. Here are some numbers or some resources that you can go to when you're running low on food for your baby or whatever the situation is. Because, and doing so, that person can go back to their job the next day and not lose it. They might be the only breadwinner. You know, the, the kids can have their father in their lives and They've left the court with the understanding that it's not three strikes, you're out. It's one strike. Second time you strike, you're out. Because if someone keeps committing a crime and feels that when they're faced with a, with a choice, 
their choice is to commit the crime again. Either there's a mental health problem and we need to be able to incarcerate that person in a mental health institution uh, and, 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 you know, and, and do whatever mental health professionals do, but they certainly don't belong on the street. Or there is a, 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 a bravado complex where, you know, I don't care about jail, I'm, no problem. Or, you know, some people get comfortable, it's just a misdemeanor, they're going to let me out again, whatever the case may be. But I don't see any crime that I've heard of that, any horrific crime especially, where the person who committed the crime has never been arrested. So statistics that exist or not, to tell me that, or to say that there's no relationship between bail reform and crime, especially when we're seeing a lot of these crimes are being committed by people who are now um, recipients of the of of of, of the, the the benefits of bail reform, there needs to be an adjustment, a serious adjustment. It needs to involve the way judges look at the cases. It needs to hold judges accountable for each case. If you if you're a judge, and you're not only there to 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 carry out the law, but you have you're within the rights of what what your job allows you to do. You're here to listen to the case. And in the case of this guy who assaulted the woman um, at the 43rd time, you would have known in front of you, I'm assuming, and I don't know all the details that he was arrested, because if we knew in the news he was arrested 44 times, the news the judge would have known at the 43rd time that he was arrested 42 times. And you decide to let this person out again, okay? I don't know, you're not following, whatever you're following, common sense is not one of the things. And maybe you need to rethink your career. Because people, I think what history has shown, and probably science too, and statistics, that people, when people start getting repetitive with crimes, the level of crime also, uh, you know, their willingness to ramp it up to the next level becomes a part of the equation. And then there's, over the last three years, three days or so, I think it was this past weekend, there was an Asian woman, and I say Asian because I want to I wanna include that because I don't know whether it's crime against, it's, it, you know, it's also um, uh, hate crime, and I don't know if it's people who are mentally ill, and there are a lot of mentally ill people who are taking things like hate crimes to the extreme, but... This guy, now listen to this. She came home, I guess, 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever from a night out, went into her building, and according to the landlord, I'm assuming who saw the, the, the perpetrator on, on tape, on recording, on the cameras, stealthily followed this woman up five steps, five um, staircases up to her apartment, I guess, on the fifth floor. Now, for you to follow someone five stories up stealthily, you got to understand that you are going with intent. Okay? For you to do that stealthily so that person doesn't hear you one day and they walk, you are doing that with intent. He gets that quietly up behind there. When she opens her door, he forces his way into her apartment and he stabs her over 40 times. This individual had been arrested 12 times in the last decade. And he was out on supervised release after being arrested, I think, just a few days before. 
So whatever he did, he got arrested one time. Whatever he did, he got arrested two times. Whatever he did, he got arrested three times. And all these times being let out all the way to 12 times. And exactly what I was saying before about these, these perpetrators ramping up, he got to a point where he's in supervised release and he has the, he's at the level now where he can go into this woman's apartment and stab and kill her over 40 times he stabbed her. This young lady, I think she was 35 years old. The system let him out 12 times. The case I, I, I spoke about before, the system let him out 44 times. And the last, uh, what uh, I think what we're seeing is, in these cases, the last few times they get let out, they get let out under the umbrella of bail reform. It's definitely not under the umbrella of common sense. It's netty, definitely not under the umbrella of a judge doing due diligence. And it ties back to the legislature because the judges can or can't do this because of what the legislature does. Because they and they're the ones who who are you know are the ones that are able to make laws. And then I think that the response that we get from from the from the legislatures are, and I'm talking about all over the country in different cases, not just you know in New York and this, but it's it's they're all well, no matter what I what I'm talked about tonight, they're all on the along party lines. So uh, you know, if 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 this bail reform was passed and pushed through by Democrats, because you know Democrats are associated with with with, with, with minorities, right? Because of the whole socioeconomic thing, and so. Why would they admit that it's terribly flawed to give their Republican counterparts the ability to go into a, especially November elections coming up and say, hey, you see what a mess they made of bail reform? So I guess they're faced with a choice. Stand by our bail reform and dig our heels in and try to make sure we win re-election in November or admit that bail reform is flawed, admit that these changes, work through these changes, and maybe be vulnerable enough that enough people think we don't know what we're doing and lose our seat. What do I do? Hmm, well, staying in power is more important than lives. So we're just going to, you know, we're just going to stand by our party lines. And then you've got people like mayors and, and other bodies begging these people and telling them, showing them what's going on in front of their faces. I mean, I, I I don't remember before this year, 2022, a New York City that has been this violent. I think you have to go back to the 80s or something. I mean, it is it is getting to a to uh, you know. I feel for the entire. I feel for the honorable mayor. I feel for the entire local government that has to deal with this situation because it seems like they have to deal with it. We have to deal with it alone. Everybody else at the state level and the, and the federal level up there, they're playing politics. And people are dying in New York. I mean, this is, this is, you know, there was, there have been seven police officers shot and we're in February for 2022. The ones that we, that are there, that we call where we're in trouble, got to worry about coming to help us. And look, I'm, you know, the, l l let me, let me, let me throw this in here as we have in this conversation. 
a lot of what's going on in the streets, there's a problem with guns coming into New York City. Now, before I cause a division of, of between my audience, again, I'm always down, not only down the middle, but I'm my own man. I am a firearm instructor. I have shot I have shot uh, firearm competitions. I like it as a sport, and I like to train people. I've, 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 I've actually assisted some law enforcement people who were, who were uh, practicing for uh, recertification. So I said all that so you understand that, that everything I tell you, I'm, I'm not on one side or the other, though. There's been this big fight across the nations to get background checks passed for everyone. I'm sorry. Every single person who buys a gun, every time they buy it, should have a background check. First of all, you should have a background check because I have a family. I have kids. I have you know brothers. I, have, I don't want them being attacked and hurt by someone with a gun who should not have purchased or be allowed to purchase a gun. And it needs to be done every time you purchase a gun because in between purchasing guns, you could have become a criminal. This should be across the board. I don't see this, I don't see this as a violation of any constitutional right. I see this as preservation of human lives. And I'm someone who, like I said, I am pro in terms of, you know, I, competitions and, and, you know, I'm not a hunter, but I like the sport and I like the, the I like the, the uh, going to the range, but I want to do it in a safe manner, just like anything else we do in life. There needs to be mental health checks that run across the board for every person who purchases a firearm. And the government needs to understand if you run background checks and you're seeing people and the people who purchase these firearms are law-abiding citizens, then you, then you need to also use language and actions that do not make them feel that when they do the right thing that you're going to seize these, their firearms because that is the rhetoric that gets us right back to nowhere. People are afraid to become any part of any system that does a background check or anything because there's, there's, there are these organizations, there are these different entities that put fear into people like, oh, they're going to come and they're going to take your guns. You know, look, I'm not, I, I don't know what the decision is or what the, what the, you know, because I have spoken to people who say, take away everybody's guns. Let, let, let's, let's get to this. Let's, let's clear this up tonight. This country from as far back as I can read in history, people have, have, have cherished their right to bear arms. And people who are into sport hunting, sport shooting, whatever it is, over time have dozens, if not hundreds of guns. So forget about the, the notion of, of seizing guns because there's no way for any government entity to, to ever know how many guns are out there? And there, there are hundreds of millions. Take that number. There are hundreds of millions. But I want you to understand something, that you have many, many, many millions of law-abiding citizens who use them in a manner that's responsible and that makes them responsible members of society. You also have states, unlike New York, 
that where people have shall carry or uh, will carry, where they're allowed to either carry concealed or carry openly. And and there's arguments back. You know, I spoke to someone only today who said, oh, well, I don't want them to allow people to carry in New York because then I'm afraid you're going to have shootouts all the time. Well, I'm sorry. But if you're going to quote statistics to me, quote this statistic, look around the United States of America. I'm not talking about the mental health maniac who goes and does a mass shooting because that's a whole different conversation that we can have. Because there's many of those instances, if you look deep enough, you find out that this person gave every bit of evidence that something was wrong with them on this same uh, uh the, the the same systems that we have that's supposed to recognize this and you know there's some families that even ask for help for the person and we ignore them society ignored them our systems ignored them and then they went out and did something like a mass shooting and then you want to say oh it's the gun i'm not saying then you i'm saying that you failed the people just like in new york city just like uh our mayor was talking about last week about this guy uh, i forgot his name this young kid that got gunned down he was homeless at one point he was you know he went through all these different things and all the systems failed him it's easy to pass off responsibility on someone else and blame something else because we don't want to look at the truth and again the truth is many times these people who commit uh um mass shootings have been showing signs. And then and then you ever hear when the newscasters come on, the reporters, and they ask someone who knows them and say, yeah, you know, he was a nice guy. He was a little strange, but, oh, give me a break. You Everybody knows something was wrong. And we just, you know, we're so busy with our own lives and so much, so don't care about anybody else's life but our own that, you know, until the person goes off the deep end, you know, oh, wow, yeah, I guess I should have recognized that, really. But my point is, again, is if you want to stop the flow of, of these things, guns coming into to New York City and to any other state that's, that's dealing with illegal guns, then you need to have these background checks. You need to make it where you have a certain ability to say, you know, John Doe bought this. So when it ends up in a criminal's hands who kills someone or shoots a police officer, you know exactly where to go and how to find it. And you need to be able to make examples so this stops. The other part that gets me really upset, and I know this, this I'm probably going to take a lot of heat. And again, if you have an issue with anything I say, I'm willing to have you on the show to have an honest, open, respectful conversation. I'm giving my views and perspectives. There's times I can be right, there's times I can be wrong, and I'm willing to accept it in public when I'm wrong to all my audience, but I will not have arguments and angry conversations and just a bunch of noise that, that gets nowhere and doesn't make sense. But I want to also speak about people recognizing that when something happens, when a criminal or, or there's a bunch of crime involving guns, politicians realize that they're becoming unpopular because the public is demanding that they do something. Many times, I'm talking about from federal, see, I'm talking about every level of government. Many of them pass laws. I'm talking about the federal government now, actually. So they pass a law. I think New York State did it um, the last time. I think it's New York, New York State Safe Act. Now, I mean, you got to understand how, when you look at this from the perspective of someone who understands how foolish this was. So they, they cut, they, they decided that they, you could no longer have 10 rounds in the magazine you could only have 
you can only, you, you, it originally started where you can only have seven round magazines. And then of course, everybody kind of looked at that and laughed. That was really stupid. So I think the manufacturers reached out to the legislature and said, listen, nobody, you know, other than a few specific guns, standard magazines are 10 rounds. Nobody makes seven round magazines like that. So then they came back with the, you know, they amended it and said, well, you can only put seven rounds in the 10 round magazine. Now, the point I'm making of how stupid these things are is this. When, these, when, when, when laws are passed, who do you think they affect? It is the law-abiding citizen who grumbles and rants and raves and then goes sheepishly or, 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 or angrily, I should say, and complies. So he goes and he, and he takes the, the rounds out of his magazine. So he'll only have seven. And he has his gun in the lockbox. And he does this and he does that. They, they try their best to comply because they want to keep the rights they have. News flash, breaking news. None of the laws that the, that the federal government or anyone else has enacted have do anything to curb gun violence because Criminals don't care about laws. When you raise the fees for license, uh, gun permits, when you restrict uh, how many rounds in a magazine, only the law-abiding citizens are the ones who are following. The case in New York where the earlier this year, that sad case where two police officers were killed, this guy had a Glock with a, with a drum magazine that held 50 rounds. The law says you can't. What does that mean to him? If you're going and you buy an illegal gun, you don't care about any law that's passed, okay? But these, these politicians on all levels, they feel that when they pass these laws, you know what they do? It's all a mirage. It's all misdirection. It's all meant to say, oh, my public is crying out that I'm doing that, that um, gun violence. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pass a law to make them seem like I'm doing something. But in fact, they're not. Because people say, oh yeah, they passed this law, and guess what? Give it a little bit of time, and there goes the gun violence again. And then they come up with another law. These are the stupidest things I've ever seen or heard. There's a lot more I can say on this, but the point I'm making is, one thing I like I liked that's going on in New York City right now is we have a local government that's looking for real ways to stop this. The first thing I heard at the news conferences when those police officers were shot was both the mayor and the commissioner of police saying, we're looking for illegal guns, not legal guns. And I heard a lot of gun owners say, okay, they got it right this time. They're looking for the, the criminals and not looking to punish the law by the citizens again. And I think that's the first time I heard that where there is a, it seems like an across the board understanding or a better understanding of the problem, and therefore they can have a better approach. There are, there are a lot of things that need to be done to, to, to get a handle on what's going on. People are frustrated. People are angry. People have, are prone to violence because sometimes that's the only way they get by. There's a lot of conditioning going on from parents to child of this is how you live. You got to be tough. And you, you, you know, all the, the, the wrong things are being taught to the people who can be influenced easily.
I'm, I live in New York. I don't live in New York City, but I live in New York. I'm tired of the gun violence. I'm tired of these young people shooting each other every single day. And it's gotten to a point that's almost every single day. I despise the fact that they are now behaving like they have no respect for police officers. You want to have an issue with police officers or whatever. No one is perfect. And the fact is you can address that separately. But the, at the bottom line is when someone decides to go and take that job and go to training and pass the academy and become a police officer, there are, there are many, and I know personally know many of them that are great people. And when they go out somewhere to help someone, you know, them being in, a, in an atmosphere now where every single call, they got to they gotta be almost nervous that someone's going to try to shoot them is ridiculous. I don't, I, I don't want to be in the shoes of any one of our local government who has to find a solution right now because it is, it is, it is out of control. And, and, and you know what? Every single person who lives in not only New York City but New York State and every person who lives around this country, wherever there's this kind of violence, people who are law-abiding citizens need to start figuring out ways together to help. Community policing is great. But is it real to the people who are on the ground? We need to find out what is going on and fix it. We need to stop the disparity. Look, as, 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 as the report said, before COVID, the rich, the top percentage, whatever, of rich people were worth $800 billion. Now they're worth $1.7 trillion dollars. The rich got richer and the poor got poorer. So I think at the, at the lower levels of, of, of uh, socioeconomic levels of society, they also got angrier and more violent. But I'm tired of, of, of seeing memorials every night I look at the news. I'm tired of hearing mothers crying out for children. Even if the child was someone who had a record or something like that, that child wasn't born that way. I have a real sad part of me that can't understand why we as human beings, once we recognize that we have life, are not doing everything we can to preserve lives. There are enough things out there, diabetes, heart disease, cancer. There are enough things out there that can take us out of this world without using a gun. Much less to add violence and shooting, senseless shootings. I don't know if there's, I mean, I guess there's a thin line of sensible shootings. There are those sorts in there, but you know what I mean. These day in, day out shootings, kids going to a party and they're shooting each other. There was a, the last officer that was shot, I think he was at a wake or something like that. And he, you know, he got shot coming out. This is ridiculous. People carjacking people and shooting them. People, you know, it, 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 it is ridiculous. Young kids you're seeing on the video, 12, 14, 16 years old, have no regard for life whatsoever. They, you see them on video on the streets and you're just, Pull out a gun and start shooting. And then and and the what's worse 
is, of course, they, they don't know how to shoot. So, you know, there's always a bunch of bystanders diving for cover. Next to you know, there's a little child or a little girl who's dead in the middle. They didn't even, they, they, not that they should have, but they didn't even hit the target they were aiming for. We have an epidemic on our hands, I think, in New York and I think in, in other states around this country. I have my ideas as to what can be done, but I'm pretty sure several of them are unpopular because people simply have a fear of, 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 of what needs to be done. It doesn't represent anything calming, especially in the beginning. So I'm, I'm, I'm calling on my audience again to share this podcast. Let's start talking about, and, and, and I don't you know, you know some, I, I shouldn't even be saying this, let's start talking about, because there's been a lot of talking to young people, a lot of groups, a lot of this, a lot of that. We need to do something different because what, what we've been doing or what's being done is not getting through to these people. A weapon in the hand represents a lot of power to them. In certain parts of New York, gangs are on the rise again. And so are the murders. Imagine that you join a gang and, and in, in order for you to become a permanent member, you have to prove yourself by killing someone, taking a life. Do we understand how precious this thing is called life is? Have you ever watched? A, 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 I remember watching the the the, the funeral for, for Officer Wilbert Mora and watching his mother when she got the flag. That 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 her face, her expression is etched in my in my mind forever. The pain was was it the, the pain that she felt traveled right through the camera, through my TV to my heart. And yet every single day, mothers and fathers that we don't see on TV are burying their sons and daughters from killed by gunshot wounds senselessly. Many of them, not even the targets of it, just caught up in a, in a wild shootout. This morning, uh, February 16th, I think about one something in the morning in Ronkonkoma, I think that's Suffolk County, Someone, two, I guess they say it was two friends together, no, but one shot and killed the other one on the Long Island Railroad, on the train. This morning, about four something, this wasn't shooting, but apparently a boyfriend or something stabbed and killed his, 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 his girlfriend, whatever, in her apartment in the Bronx. Just without me knowing everything else that happened, that's two lives, two people who woke up expecting to go to bed in their beds at night and to live another day. And they're gone. And when someone is gone, what they leave behind is so much pain in those who are left behind. The conversation needs to get louder. It needs to get so loud that the people who are involved in the crime can't help but stop and listen. We need to stand with any of our, our of our of our government officials who want to do the right thing and and make this this city, this town, this state, and this country a safer place, and become part of the solution with them. But we also need to keep them in check so they keep it fear. 
in New York, we need to have changes to the bail reform law so that those who are getting the break from it are those who deserve the break from it. There's a lot more to do and a lot more to say. And 247 Real Talk is going to continue Real Talk. We started 2022 in this manner. And we continue just to discuss these issues. I'm going to continue to talk to you until you either stop listening or you become part of my group who gets angry enough to make a difference. And making a difference just, you know, isn't necessarily even you having to get up and call someone. Making a difference can be simply sharing the podcast or having the discussion with someone else you know who's motivated enough to make a difference. I need you to join me. I need you to get fired up. I need you to get angry. I need you to look at the racism and the killing and the politicians that we have who, are, who, who smile at us and laugh and, and behind our backs and lie to our faces. I need you to stand together with women who need to have laws passed to protect them in, you know, when, they're, when they're faced in, in, in abusive and vulnerable relationships. I need you to help me to find ways to get to our youth and let them know, put down the gun. There's a lot of other things you can pick up that can make life so much better. We need to learn to talk to each other and speak to each other with kindness so it doesn't invoke anger. We need to stop bullying and people who take advantage of others on social media and to the point that they commit suicide. There's a lot of bad things going on and a lot of work needs to be done. So let's get going. Say a very special thank you to all my listeners out there. Thank you for the support. Thank you for sharing my message. Thank you for being willing to be a part of this solution, whether that is sharing this podcast, whether that's having a conversation with someone else, whether that's finding your people who are motivated and called to action and, and, and uplifting them and empowering them and standing behind them and encouraging them. I can't do this alone. You can't do this alone, but we can do this together. We can make a difference for ourselves, for the rest of our lives, for our children, and for all the other generations to come. Thank you so much for your support. Remember that you can listen to this episode and every episode of the 247 Real Talk podcast on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to leave a message, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you'd like to just chat with me online or you'd like to give me ideas if you'd like to give me topics that you want me to discuss and give my perspective on so we can continue the conversation you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net and that's podcast at 247realtalk.net until the next time take care of yourselves and each other